0: Well, if you've been with us on Sunday morning, you know that we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts, and not a verse-by-verse study like we have done in some books, but basically an overview of the book of Acts. And if you remember, we were in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12 last week, and we saw Peter uh, as God worked with him and gave him a... Deliverance uh, from a prison sentence and really a death sentence, if you will, in Acts chapter 12. And Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13 mark a division in the book of Acts. If you've ever studied the book of Acts, you might be aware of that. But from chapter 1 of Acts to chapter 12, the focus is primarily on the Apostle Peter. Of course, there's some other events that are mentioned. Paul's conversion is is, uh, recorded in those first 12 chapters. But the primary focus, the preaching and the ministry is all about the Apostle Peter and his ministry primarily to the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, it was just uh, right before we got to chapter 12 where, uh, remember, we had what we call the Gentile Pentecost where uh, he went over and began to preach after a vision of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who needed uh, instruction on how to follow God properly, he went over and began to preach and the Holy Spirit fell. And he said, you know, God has opened the door to the Gentiles as well. But in Acts chapter 13, we have a new focus. From Acts chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book of Acts, the focus is going to be on the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And his ministry is primarily going to be to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, if you look there in Acts chapter 13 and you turn over to verse number 44, uh, there we have a, uh, an event that is recorded. Paul and, and his partner in ministry, Barnabas. If you look there and, uh, in chapter 13, verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy And contradicted and blasphemed, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation." to the end of the earth. As a matter of fact, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 42 when he makes that statement there in verse 47. And verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. So there in chapter 13, verse 44, really we have a turning point in the book of Acts. And remember, the book of Acts is just that. It is the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at the letters of the New Testament, just take a brief, let's stop on a rest area just a second, let me explain this. Uh, if you look at the letters that are in the New Testament, the letters like First and Second Corinthians and Romans and, and Philippians and so forth, those are wonderful books to find out how to live. They teach doctrine. They teach how you should live the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian. The book of Acts, by contrast, is really a historical book. It doesn't teach us doctrine necessarily. It doesn't teach us how we should live, although we certainly may get inspiration from the book of Acts, the things that happen, but its purpose is to basically tell you what the apostles did in the years immediately following Jesus' ascension back into heaven, how the church started when the Holy Spirit came. And so we have this list of Acts. So what is happening here in Acts chapter 13 is now we're beginning to see the Apostle Paul. He is preached to his fellow Jews. They are by and large rejecting the gospel and opposing the gospel. And so he makes the statement here in chapter 13, okay, I'm going to preach now primarily to the Gentiles. I go to the Gentiles. I go to them, you are rejecting the gospel, and I am going, quoting from Isaiah 42, I'm going to to go and to preach to the Gentiles. And then if you turn over to Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, many of the Gentiles begin to be saved in the book of Acts, but there was a problem. Remember that in the early church, there was no New Testament. The apostles themselves were the New Testament. When we hear them talk about Scripture, they're talking about what we call the Old Testament. So let's say you're a Roman Gentile or a Greek. You you haven't been raised a Jew. You've you've been worshipping Jupiter. You've been worshipping the Roman gods. That's been your religion. And all of a sudden, Paul comes into your town and you hear the gospel, something strange happens in your heart. Your heart identifies with this message. The Holy Spirit stirs you. You come to Christ. You confess Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say, listen, I'm going to... Let's say you can read. You're able to read. And you say, I'm going to read the Scripture. And what do you mean by Scripture? You mean the Old Testament. And you open up the Old Testament, and it begins to tell you you... are to eat this and you're not to eat that and if you're a male you're to be circumcised and, and you're reading all of that and you're like oh boy this Christian thing I, I thought it was really great but, but, but I, I mean is, that, is this how I have to live? Do I have to become a Jew? Do I have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian? Do I have to follow the, the, the laws in Old Testament Judaism? Well there were many early Jews who were Christians and they said absolutely you do. You certainly do. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be a good Jew. Matter of fact, we see that in in chapter 15. There was a disagreement in the early church. The first church fight, the first church disagreement, uh, one of the first, was about what to do with these Gentile converts. Do they have to become Jews like us? Surely they must. Surely that they must. Well, they had a disagreement. What happened? Acts 15 verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Remember I said, in reality, the apostles were the New Testament in the book of Acts. Where did they go when they had a disagreement about what was true and how you should live? They went to the apostles, didn't they? They went to the apostles and elders. And by, by comparison, when you and I have a question about what is right as a Christian, where should we go? To Grandma Susie? Aunt Sally? Uncle Jim? No, we should go to the Scripture that the apostles gave us. The New Testament Scripture is our source for authority as a believer. So that's exactly what they did. They said, "Listen, some people were saying you need to be, you need to be a good Jew. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Old Testament law." And they said, "Well, you know, we don't know anything about it. We, we just have faith in Christ." And and people came and said, "You must do this." Paul and Barnabas said absolutely not. Absolutely not. They're they're saved by faith just as we were. So, they went to Jerusalem. They had a church council, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses." Now, verse 6, it says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? What we looked at just a couple of weeks ago when he went to Cornelius' household and he preached the gospel. Cornelius was a Gentile, a Roman soldier. And remember, Peter didn't give the invitation. They couldn't accuse him of, you know, ginning up all of those converts, he's just preaching, doing what God told him to do, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls, just like it did on the Jewish believers at the day of Pentecost, and they begin to speak with tongues and glorify God, and Peter said, My goodness, evidently God has has brought the Gentiles, it wasn't me, and Peter's recounting this, he says, Remember, he says that God chose that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, so God... Who knows the heart? acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe, and if you're looking for a, if you're looking for a, a, a good. Solid Bible verse about salvation. Here's one to mark down: Acts chapter 15 and verse number, uh, verse number, Acts chapter 15 and verse number 11. Peter says, "But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they." Now there is a wonderful passage that explains. The message of salvation that it is one thing and one thing only that makes you right with God. It is not your good works, it is not your heritage, it is not your race, it is not anything that you do. It is the grace of Jesus Christ poured out upon us by the love of God. And if you did anything, it was to receive that grace. Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a radical statement. Think of it. That means anybody can be saved. No matter how evil they have been, no matter who they are or where they're from, Anyone, anywhere, at any time can become a Christian if they yield to the grace of God. Simply, as Peter said, Peter says, These Gentiles, these Romans, they are going to be saved just as we were saved. How was that? By the grace of God. So, they make a decision and they make what theologians call the Jerusalem Decree. And they send out a letter from the apostles and the elders there at the church at Jerusalem to all the Gentile believers. And they say, hey, we're basically, they say, you can read it for yourself. We're not going to take time to read it. But it says, you know, we praise God that you're a part of the Christian family. And, and, you know, we just ask that you don't commit sexual immorality. Don't eat things sacrificed to idols and refrain from blood. That means, you know, some of the, the pagans would drink blood. You know, that was certainly a, a no-no in Jewish tradition, was you didn't you didn't you didn't drink blood. You didn't eat blood. And he said, you know, that you refrain from these things, recognizing that, listen, you don't have to keep the Old Testament law. One of the things that Jesus did, and a wonderful book to read, is the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews is all about why the Old Testament law doesn't apply to us any longer. And the book of Hebrews goes into great detail explaining that Jesus, who is the great high priest, that he fulfilled the Old Testament law when he came. He is the fulfillment of the law. So as Peter said, our fathers couldn't keep the law. They would try, they'd they'd backslide. They'd they'd backslide. They'd try, they'd backslide. They'd try, they would backslide. Peter said, we couldn't keep it. How in the world are these Gentiles going to be able to keep it? They can't. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be our righteousness. He fulfilled the Old Testament law. And through Him and through our faith in Him, we have the perfect righteousness that mankind could never achieve through the law. Not because the law was bad, but because they were unable, we were unable Because of our weakness of the flesh to keep it as we should. And Jesus came and did what we couldn't do through the weakness of the flesh. He kept that law and He perfected that law. And through our faith in Him and the grace of God, we are saved. So, we've got this transition from Peter in chapter 12 to Paul in chapter 13. And also a transition from preaching mainly to the Jewish people to now Paul in chapter 13 and on, he is primarily going to go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, he's also going to preach to the Jews. He's got to stop normally in the synagogue when he goes in every city, if you read the book of Acts. But most of those that hear him and that convert are going to be Gentiles. Well, so Paul is on his way. And if you look there in chapter 15, and you will find that Paul, first of all, as you know, takes... Barnabas, Paul and and Barnabas, uh, they go out on mission trip, but there in chapter 15, they have a problem. You know, they go out into ministry, and uh, over in uh, chapter 15, verse 36, I'll just read this passage. You know, even good godly people can disagree. I can't think of two more godly men than the Apostle Paul. And remember, I preached the whole message on Barnabas. We call him the encourager. I think I, I titled that message, you know, the church member, the most important church member in our church. And Barnabas, his name means encourager. And Barnabas was always, every time you find him in, in, in the book of Acts, he's encouraging somebody. He's lifting, so he lifted Paul up when Paul first came to Christ. A great man of God. But you know, they had a disagreement. And you know who it was about? It was about one of Barnabas' relatives, John Mark. Remember, we we read about him a little bit a week or two ago. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And often the Gospel of Mark is called Peter's Gospel because he was a close associate of the Apostle Peter. And so John Mark, remember if you go back and look in chapters 14 and 15, he went with Barnabas and, and, and Paul as they went on their missionary journey, but it says that he left them and went back home during the middle of the journey. Well, we find in verse 36 why he left. It says, that after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now there, we find two great men of God, Barnabas and Paul, and they have a disagreement. The Bible doesn't tell us that one was right and one was wrong. It simply says, you know, they couldn't agree. And you know there's an old principle, I think a verse actually in the book of Ecclesiastes that says how can, how can two walk together unless they be agreed. You know you have to have an agreement on some things. And, and so they disagreed so sharply that they parted ways and Barnabas took John Mark, they went on a journey and Paul takes Silas and the book of Acts follows the ministry of Paul and Silas. Now I would tell you if you studied scripture you know that Barnabas, remember he was a great encourager. I see Paul as kind of a no-nonsense no, no kind of guy. I think you see that if you read his letters. You know, he didn't put up with a lot of nonsense. and He didn't have time for, you know, uh, John Mark getting a little homesick. We had work to do. And, uh, and, but Barnabas, was he was full of grace, and he wanted to help John Mark. But we do find when Paul is nearing the end of his life in Second Timothy, the last letter we have on record, or that we have, that Paul wrote, you know who he asked for? He says, bring John Mark for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Barnabas, with his grace, and he looked down and he helped John Mark, there was a reconciliation uh, between uh, Paul and Barnabas and certain John Mark. And we also know, as I said, that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. So God used him in a great way, but there was a separation. So sometimes people, good, good people, people that love God and love one another, sometimes we have disagreements and we have to learn how to deal with those, but of course they parted ways. And then if you look there in chapter 16, we find out that Paul is going to have the same experience that Peter had. Remember how Peter was in prison? He was going to be executed and God, the angel came, woke Peter up and said, get up and get out, we're going to leave here. Well, Paul is put into prison. If you've read there, he began to preach the gospel. There was a young slave girl uh, in chapter 16. Uh, 16 and verse number 16 in the Bible says that she was a fortune teller basically and that she would follow Paul and Silas and say these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation and she did this for many days and, and you know this woman remember on, on Wednesday night we're talking about spiritual warfare And listen, things are not always what they seem. There is a spiritual battle going on. There are evil forces and there are the forces of God. And here this woman possessed, this young slave girl possessed by a demon who was a demon of fortune telling. When these men would pass by, she would follow them and she would tell the truth. She said, hey, these are servants of the Most High God who tell us the way of salvation. And she followed them, speaking that and shouting that over and over again. And she did it for many days. But the Bible says, I guess Paul at some point had enough of it. And it says at verse 18, Then Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So, you know, when the gospel comes, the gospel sets people free. And it causes great joy to those that it sets free. It causes great joy to those that are being oppressed that the gospel frees from that oppression and this woman was possessed by a demon. She was the servant of that demon and Paul released her from that possession and no doubt she was full of joy but you know who wasn't happy? Often, anytime Satan has someone bound, there's somebody that is profiting from that bondage. You take a person that's addicted to drugs. There's someone profiting from that bondage. You take a person who is being used in prostitution, sold for sex. There's somebody that is profiting from that bondage. And when Jesus came and set this woman free from that demonic oppression and possession, she was glad, but you know who wasn't glad? Her masters. You see, she could tell people's fortune. And no doubt, with the power of this demon, she often would get things right. And she would tell what was going to happen and a lot of times it would happen. And people would pay money for that. You know, tell me about my love life. That's so tempting, isn't it? You know, you want to know something? You know, don't don't fall into that trap. Hey, I'm just going to call and see what they say. You know, 1-800-PSYCHIC. I'm just going to see what they say. I'm just going to see. You know, they might have it right. Well, they might. They're demon- this was a fortune teller, and a demonic power was at work. You should always stay away from anybody that claims by any force beyond God that they're going to tell you the future. They're going to tell you what's going to happen. Only God has that authority. Now demons have power, and they can do some things, but only God is the one that we should turn to. And here, these, women, these men who had possession of this young girl and used her to make money, they became very angry. Because she was no good. She, she would, did not, was not possessed by a demon any longer. She couldn't tell the future. And they took Paul and Silas and they put them up before the magistrate. Well, they're basically put on trial. They're thrown into prison. If you'll look there in verse number 22, it says, verse 23, and when they had laid... Or verse 22, then the multitudes rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the socks. Now their crime was that they had set a woman free from demonic possession and oppression. Their punishment was they were condemned by the mob... You know they had mobs back then. I think we have rent a, you know, rent a mob now. You can call one eight hundred rent a mob, you know, rent you a mob to go burn some stuff down and just tell them what to protest. Fill in the blank, they'll protest it. Hey, they were back there. They they, they didn't. You couldn't look them up on www.rentamob, a mob. But you just went out to the marketplace and just like now, it was folks who had nothing better to do. They didn't have a a job. They just wandered around in the marketplace. You know, wandering around uptown with nothing to do. And they grab up a bunch and say, hey, let's let's y'all follow me. We're, we're, gonna have a, we're gonna have a mob protest. And and that's what they did. They got a mob together. They went in and, and they brought Barnabas and or they bought Paul and Silas, not Barnabas, he's with John Mark. They brought Paul and Silas up and and they put them before the Roman magistrates. And by the way, if you're a Roman magistrate, do you know the one thing you crave above everything else? Peace and order. Because if there's one thing that's going to bring Rome down on your back quicker than anything else, it's if the area you're responsible for breaks out into riots and people start going crazy and burning things down, then somebody's going to come find out what's going on. So if you've got people who are going crazy, you're going to grab the guy they're all upset about, throw him into prison, find out what's going on. That's exactly what they did. They beat Paul and Silas with rods. They put them into the inner prison And now we find in verse 25 the situation that they're in. They've been condemned openly. They've been arrested. They've been physically beaten. They've been thrown into prison. Their feet are in chains. It is dark. There's no light. They're in physical pain. They can't move. They have an uncertain future. Their environment is terrible. It stinks. They're with terrible company because they're in the middle of a prison. Not very sanitary in a Roman prison. Didn't have nice toilet facilities in a Roman prison. No room service in a Roman prison. All of this has happened to Paul and Silas. And what are they doing? Verse 25. Now they had a couple of choices. Number one, they could have argued with one another. I mean, these are things that we often do when things don't turn out right. You know, we look around and things aren't like we thought they would be. Things have gone south as they say. They could have argued with one another and said, Well, Silas, it's your fault. Well, Paul, it's your fault. You're the one in charge. It's your fault. Or they could have become bitter and angry. You know, when things happen, bad things happen, that is so tempting. That is our natural response, to be angry and to be bitter. You know, they tell us that's a part of grief, and it is. Anger is a part of grief. And they could have gotten very bitter... And very angry. They could have blamed God for their situation. God, we're your servants. We were sent out by the Holy Spirit. We've done nothing wrong. We don't deserve this. We've been preaching the gospel and we freed a woman from Satan's bondage and look what happened to us. Or they could have done what they did do. And that was the most unlikely of all the choices. And that was, in verse 25, at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were not in it, that is the ministry, for what they could get out of it. They were in ministry, in obedience To the Holy Spirit and an obedience to Jesus Christ who called them. They didn't know how it was going to end. You know, they didn't have the book of Acts to see, hey, don't worry, you're going to be, you know, God's going to do a miracle. Remember Peter? Peter was asleep that night, he was going to be executed the next morning. When the angel came and woke him up, he was at peace. If there's one thing that God offers the believer, it is peace. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. But I give my peace unto you. And Jesus had given Peter that peace so that he could rest the night before he was to be executed. But God said, Peter, I'm not through with you. And he broke him out of jail. And Paul here in prison, remember he had been beaten with rods. Don't raise your hand because we don't, you know... We don't want the law to come to your house, but have you ever been beaten with a rod? I'll just say I hadn't. Now I've been beat. I've been. I don't call it beat. I call it whipped with a belt, you know, and a switch, and God forbid a fly flap—nasty thing. I think I'd rather be whipped with a belt, but I've never been beaten with a rod. Now, that had to hurt. That left a mark, as they would say. To be beaten with... Paul and Silas had been beaten with rods. They were sore. I take that back. FFA initiation. Atkinson County High School when I was in the 10th, ninth grade. A lot of folks got in trouble for this now. Some people almost lost their job. They made us go down the hallway. It was held at night when all unsavory activities occur. It was held at night. I should have known there was trouble then after hours. They made us on our fours run down the hallway and they had, it's not right to say a a newspaper rolled up. It was paper rolled up with duct tape. You know, it was a a billy club for all practical purposes. (laughs) And as we went down on our hands and knees, they beat us. all. The And listen, it wasn't just the seniors. This is why one of the reasons folks got in trouble. They had people that had beards down to here. I mean, they had people who had been out of school for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Showed up, I thought, I don't even know who this guy is. They might have still been in school. Huh? They might have still been in school. They, well, they could have been in school. Yeah, you're right. But uh, And they beat the stew out of us. Now, that is the only time the next morning... When I woke up, I looked in the mirror because I knew something wasn't right, and I was black and blue. Black and blue on my backside, got to school to sit down, and whoa, you know, you couldn't sit down. And like I said, uh, everybody was like that, and that was in the old days when they did have initiations. But that's one of the reasons they probably don't have initiations anymore. Uh, because some folks just I think somebody may have lost their job over that. I don't remember, but it was it was out of control. But listen, if you've ever been beat black and blue as I was that time, you, there's no place to get comfortable. I mean you know, the, the backside wasn't a place to sit. And when Paul and Silas were beaten, they didn't they didn't restrict it to the backside. They beat them all over. That's, they would beat their, their back all the way from their back. Down to, the, to, the, to their legs, to their thighs. So, so they were no doubt in pain. They were in pain. But yet in that pain, they looked beyond that pain and they were there singing and praising God. Now, some of you were having trouble singing and praising God a moment ago. And you're on cushioned seats in an air-conditioned building. I assume you're in relative comfort. We don't have time for everybody to raise their hand and tell us about your toe that's hurting. Some of you may have some pain. But you hadn't been beaten with rods. And I think sometimes, my friend, I know that we go through difficult times, but 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 we need to, you know, we need to kind of pony up a little bit and, and, and let's realize that, hey, I have never gone through what they've gone through. Why is it that I you know, have such a chip on my shoulder? Why is it that I don't want to praise God? I don't want to lift up His name? The way that Paul and Silas overcame the situation that they were in is they were willing to look beyond the situation and focus on the God who is above the situation. And that's the only way you're going to be able to praise God in the midst of your difficulty is look beyond your situation. Look beyond your situation. Paul and Silas couldn't break out of prison, but what they could do... They could be faithful in the midst of the prison and the pain. And I don't know what you're facing. And you may not be able to fix the problem you're facing. But what you can do in the midst of your problem is do what you know to do. There are things that you know God has called you to do. If you're a husband, you should be a faithful husband. A wife, you should be a faithful wife. A person in school, you should study and do the best you can. There's plenty of instruction in Scripture to cover whatever circumstance or situation you're in. And whatever we're in when we don't know what to do, do what you know to do. That's what Paul and Silas did. They didn't know what to do, but they knew to do what they knew to do. And that was to not lose faith in God and to lift up praise and to lift up their name, his name in prayer and praise. And you know what happened? Or maybe you don't, but there was a great earthquake. You see, when we do what we can do, God does what only he can do. And that's exactly what happened here. They were praying. Praising God, not knowing what tomorrow held. The Bible says a great earthquake came. Everyone's chain was loosed. And the doors were opened. But guess what? We would think, hey, they're they're going to run out. They didn't move. Remember when Peter was freed from prison, the angel struck Peter and said, Get up, Peter, and follow me. Let's go. That was the plan. Peter obeyed the plan. There was a different plan here. The earthquake came, their bonds were loose, the doors were open, but the Bible says nobody moved. They didn't make a break for it. And you remember what happened to the guards at Peter's prison a couple of chapters ago when they found out Peter was gone and nobody could say why he was gone. What happened? You know, the guards were executed. Well, the keeper of the prison, here in this passage, it says in verse 27, he awoke from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now remember everything that I said earlier about the Gentile Christians and and how some people said, Well, you've got to become a Jew first, you've got to be circumcised, you got to follow the law of Moses. And I had a big conference, and, and they come out, and you know, Peter said, Hey, we believe that they're going to be saved by the grace of God just as we were saved. Nothing else. Now, this question comes from this, no doubt, a Roman guard, a Gentile guard in the prison. And here he says, What must I do to be saved? Paul didn't hesitate. He didn't say, let me check with Jerusalem. He didn't say, Let me write somebody, I'll get back with you. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. I tell you something else he didn't ask. He didn't say how many times you've been married. He didn't say, well, What have you done? You ever killed anybody? He didn't ask him what he had done. He didn't ask him where he'd been. He didn't ask him his marital state. He didn't ask him anything about his current condition. He didn't need to know. Why didn't he need to know? Because everybody is saved the same way by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ by His grace. If you're here, you you think you've done too much and gone too far, you haven't. If you know somebody you're praying for, and you say, their heart is too hard, I just don't believe it will ever change. God can change it. Remember this man that gave the answer to this Philippian jailer? You remember who he was, right? He was a religious terrorist. I mean, he believed with all his heart he was doing God's will, and he went around arresting Christians, throwing them into prison and having them executed. Those are the hardest people to reach the ones that really believe they're right. You get a guy that's out living it up and sinning every night, he knows he's doing wrong. You might can reach him, but a guy that he knows he's right, he's got that self-righteousness. That's the hardest people to reach with the gospel. God reached him. God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. You take verse Acts chapter 13 all the way to Acts chapter 16, that is the message. Really, of all those chapters, right to this Philippian jailer. From the Gentile converts to the Jerusalem council to this Philippian jailer, it is all, the message is all about wherever you are, whoever you are, if you need forgiveness, if you need grace, Jesus offers it free. No conditions. You come to Him just as you are and you surrender, not just commit, you surrender. Yourself to Him. He offers free pardon. The Holy Spirit as the power to overcome evil. And the peace to make it through. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the book of Acts that gives us these wonderful stories of Your apostles as they spread Your Gospel and Your message. And God, I pray if there's one here that needs Your grace today, that has never given and surrendered their life to you, that they would come to you today and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, for those here that are praying for someone that they love and care about, that they feel just are beyond your reach. Lord, reaffirm their commitment to pray that no person and no problem is impossible with you. All things are possible with God. Lord, help each of us to remember that and to not give up faith and do not give up praying. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You're here this morning. God has spoken to your heart. We invite you to come as we stand and sing a hymn. You're welcome to come pray and I'll be glad to pray with you as we stand.